You know how women love to control others, right? Don't isn't that human? Don't we all love to control others? No, men don't try to control. Oh no. They're naturally <laughs> okay. in, in control. <laughs> Welcome to The Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. The Father State is on Patreon, so click the Patreon link in the description to support our work. And in advance, thank you folks. I have with me a very, very Mamma Mia interesting guest today. I have with me Catherine Woodward Thomas. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After. She's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Jesse. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Uh, you might not be aware, but August is Men's History Month. So happy Men's History Month. Thank you. I was not aware of that, and I can't <laughs> believe I've gotten through the whole month without celebrating. That's right. This is our fourth year <laughs> celebrating men. <laughs> okay, I'm all in. <laughs> right on. And so um, I read that you were born to teenage parents, and that, that was a tough upbringing for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, I think... A lot of times people ask me, when did conscious uncoupling begin? You know, when did you first think of it? But I think that uh, the things that we create, that we really create from the best part of ourselves that want to create goodness for people, alleviate suffering, a lot of times they come from the things that we've been through in the past that have been really tough. And uh, my own parents had a very difficult divorce, and part of how I explain that to myself is how young they were my mother was you know barely 18 they got married because they had to was back in the 50s you got somebody pregnant you married them absolutely so, right so that was that was the conditions they were both in college uh they were struggling they had no money and they they were kind of you know ill-suited and ill-matched and and then they they when they fell apart they fell apart badly and so i ended up living in the tension of the anger that was unresolved between the two of them for years. And then when I was 10, I, I completely lost connection with my father, which really crushed me because he's a great guy and I yeah. loved him deeply. Fathers are not disposable at all. That's right. Amen. 100%. So, yeah. So, so, you know, but I, I think when we're, when we pray, I know you're a, a reverend. I know you're a man of faith. We pray, we give it to God, we do our best to heal ourselves, and then we pay forward yeah. the healing and the light that we've gotten. So that's really where conscious uncoupling came from. You know, when Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin popped it into the lexicon, obviously I was, you know, proud of the fact that they they made that popular and it kind of opened up a new possible way to do this better than the common way to do it. But... I think for me, it was a completion of that old story. You yeah. know, I found a way to to make meaning of it. And I, I wrote it really for people who just have a broken heart and who are unable to get over the resentment and are struggling with unresolved hurt. And uh, I'm a psychotherapist, so I understand that there's a difference between grief and what we call prolonged grief or complicated grief. And that's when you really don't get over it yeah. for a long time. Amazing. And uh, people can really live very, uh, live lesser lives in the aftermath of a bad breakup. So it was my offering to just kind of help us to get through what I think is one of the worst traumas that some people will ever have to go through. You know, How old they, they, was your father at the time that you were born? You say your mother was 18. How old was your father? And she had just turned 18. So she got pregnant when she was 17. And she had me when she was 18. I think he was 21. Oh, okay. Did you ever see him again after the divorce? Not until I was grown. Oh, okay. How I did mean, that go? I did see it after the divorce. I'd see him once a year. And then when I was 10, I lost contact with him because she made a deal with him that he would give up parental rights for her third husband. Whoa. Right? So it took her a while to get it right. So what she ended up. <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> so, 
So he, he left and he married a woman, you know, back in the sixties, he married this woman in the early sixties who only married him based on the agreement they, that I was never invited to their home. Wow. Because, you know, she was immature. She didn't like that he had a child with another woman. She, she would yeah. not accept it. It's all understandable from a human perspective. But people were just, they were just immature, really. But for me, I didn't see him till I was 18. And then he's actually a great guy. We have a very good relationship today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you, and, and how is your relationship with your mother? Did you ever get over that with her? I did. I, I have forgiven my mother. You told her that? I did. And I will tell you something. I, it, it happened recently because she thought that my next book, I don't know where she got this in her mind. But she <laughs> thought I was writing a parenting book. And I'm sure she was horrified at that idea because she admits that she was a terrible parent. She was right. too young to be a parent. And uh, she feels bad about it now. So I said, no, I'm not going to be a parent, a write a parenting book. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible parent is what I said to her, which I'm really not. But, you know, everybody, every parent feels like, oh, my gosh, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. But I said, I'm not a parenting expert. And she just spontaneously said, oh, wow, well, do you forgive me what a, for what a bad parent I was? And Jesse, out of my mouth, I said, of course I forgive you. It was so authentic and so real because I'd been praying about it. Yeah. You know, I'd been praying and I'd been really working it through. When I did that, it was like an, it was like she just melted, like years of her being mad at herself just melted off of her. It changed our relationship completely. When I Amazing. And so are you over the trauma of all that? Yes, I would say that I am. I mean, I still have, um, here's, here's my work, right? So I still have what I call uh, missing development. You know, if you had a lot of PTSD from childhood, you have to work with your own nervous system as an adult, right? So you have to learn how to calm yourself down like a practice when you get overly amped up for small things. Um, also, there were certain uh, ways that I expected relationship to go because of that level of kind of multiple traumas of people in and out. So I had kind of a, an automatic sometimes, oh my gosh, he's going to leave if he's mad at me. But I've learned how to work with myself and to get outside of my own reactivity and even, you know, calm myself down, soothe myself, tell truth to myself so that I can respond from a more adult place. Right. And I can, um, you know, I can, and also some of the things that happen to us when we get really traumatized in our youth is that we actually miss learning certain things that make relationships go well. I see. So, and, so that's a lot what I'm doing now. Nice. And so you got, you've been married, you've been married before, right? I have been married before. How many times? One time. And, and so, I have a partner now. You have a partner? Oh, I you live a with a, a woman or a man? A man. Oh, don't say partner. Say boyfriend. Well, he's he. So when you say me. partner, I think you live with a woman. What? No. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Well, no, but you know we're in our, we're older now, so we're in our sixties. <laughs> I have, I have my my biological daughter. I have a bonus daughter, a girl <laughs> I brought into our family. So I want my assets to go to my children. So we're not going to legally marry. And because he would lose a pet, you know, there's things, complexities. To wow, that. that's amazing. But but he'll refer to me as his wife sometimes. Oh, okay. okay. And so with your husband, did you do to your husband what your mother did to your father? That's a really good question because that's very common. No, I was conscious enough to not do that. And as a matter of fact, I mean, so here's what happened. I had very toxic difficult, challenging patterns for years in relationships. And I had a particular pattern of going after uh, mostly unavailable people, yeah. people who are kind of on their way elsewhere, not available to commitment, it was extremely painful because I really wanted a relationship. I wanted to be a mother. And it wasn't until I was even in my early 40s that I really figured out how to, what I call, create a miracle for myself. And I did that, and I, uh, through actually setting an intention to create a future that was unlike anything I had ever experienced or lived, and then, and then kind of leaning in in prayer 
and asking God, who would I need to be in order to be a woman who's engaged by my 42nd birthday to a wonderful man? And I started to get a lot of guidance and I started to take the guidance and change myself and change my ways. That became the calling in the one process. I did manifest a wonderful, beautiful husband, beautiful daughter, and wrote a book about it that became a national bestseller. Yeah. I was teaching thousands of people. And then after a decade, we got divorced. So that was a big, you know, trauma, not just for myself, but for people who were following me. Right. Because we all so believe in happy ever after. And uh, that wasn't supposed to be part of the program. Nobody who's getting married really thinks that they're going to one day be on the wrong side of that 50% divorce divide. Why did you divorce after so long being together? You know, I think it was really my own uh, immaturity, Jesse. I now understand, and I did a lot of work. That's This is conscious uncoupling is a lot of self-reflection right. on how you were the source of the breakdown, right? So I now understand that in my home when I was growing up with my single mother, she was a working woman and I was alone a lot and she was very stressed out. So I was very neglected. I was very under parented, right? Which is typical for that situation. And I didn't understand that when you get married, that is not the relationship. It's just the contract to create the relationship. You actually have to keep really bringing yourself to engage everything, to bring that person into your world, to communicate about difficult things. And I think that both Mark and I kind of avoided difficult conversations. We avoided conflict. We didn't really create a we life. I see. Right? And we we were young parents. I mean, we were parents of a young child and he worked the night shift and I worked the day shift. So we we really drifted apart. And plus, when I was teaching so many, I mean, I had thousands of students coming to me because, you know, with the wonders of online learning, you know, you're touching thousands of people right. sitting in your studio. So we get to have an impact on people. And I was doing that and it really started to change me. And I somehow didn't bring him along for the ride. So we really drifted apart. I almost drifted right out of the marriage. Truthfully. Amazing. So, Do you regret working once you got married and had a child? Do you regret not staying home and just being a wife and a mother to his child? Wow, what a question. No one has ever asked me that. And I know that you are an advocate of of um of that kind of that kind of a, a, a switch in a mother's life. I have never thought about that because um I've been a career woman since I've been so young. Right. And the contract that Mark and I had, the ideal that we had, is that he wanted me to work. He supported me to write my book. My book has really changed a lot of people's lives. It's it's actually really made a difference. And I have always felt that it was my calling from God. So I don't think so. I think that there are things that I wish I had done differently and better, but that is not one of them. Which is the best way for a woman, once she get married, to stay home and watch over the children or to work? Um, I think it's not, it's probably not as either or, but I do think that we are erring on the side of thinking that our children need less than they do. Yeah. I I agree with you that children need a tremendous amount of care and um, a lot of attention, a lot of consistency. And sometimes we kind of, you know, our lives are busy and big and and that gets lost. And I think that the children are suffering for it. I say to men now, because I've talked to so many people over the years, that they should never marry an educated woman because she doesn't make for a good wife or mother she believes that she's equal to a man, so she's unwilling to to stay home and be a wife and a mother. Am I wrong? Um, you're just different. You're just different. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the? <laughs> you know, I don't really think that that is. Um, 
I don't think that that's anything that would, I mean, look, you can feel that way and you can believe that way. And I'm sure you can back it up with certain very good reasons why you feel that way. Um, I'm also very practical and I look at the culture Uh, economically. First of all, we're not living in a world that we were in the 50s where you could live well on one salary. Right. So the, the world isn't really structured like that. Um, I do think that um, that there's a way that men and women uh, do lead differently and that what is needed in the world right now is more about relatedness and care and connectivity. And so I think that women are being called to leadership. So that is a it is a dilemma. And most many women, uh, you know, recognize that it's hard to have it all. And that very often, if you try and have it all, the children suffer. So a lot of women are choosing not to have children now. Amazing. Um, I'd rather for them not to get married, have children, rather than sacrifice their children's lives on their own ego needs. Mm-hmm. Because the kids will suffer. Well, what do you think about the men who are staying home with their children? I think they are beta males. They have allowed the woman to turn them into a girl. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, it's not in the nature of a man to raise the, to be home with the children. It's in the nature of the woman to take care of his children for him. Yeah. And so I notice a lot of men are staying home, but they're becoming girls, and that doesn't work either. Well, Am I, I right about say, that? You know, I will say that I think the beta men are getting a bit of a short change. First of all, I can't remember the t- statistics, Jesse, but I think it's something like there's really only one to one. There, there's one alpha to like every ten betas. Okay, so so I'm I'm off. I'm like in the beta man camp. I like the beta men. I think they make great husbands. You prefer um, a beta over an alpha? Well, I'm now. Uh, I'm now with a man who is what I call a soft alpha. A beta. He's a soft alpha. He knows how to dance between alpha and beta. So and he knows how to be a girl and a guy? Yes, he does. He's very Boy, nurturing. Beta. But my heart is happy with him because I love that he knows how to nurture. And, he, you know, he can, he can, he can, he, you know, he's a very masculine man, but he's got a, a tender heart. He's a very loving man, too. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm happy. <laughs> so let me just add, and I won't tell anyone. Okay, don't tell anybody. This is between you and me. Now, In the right? privacy of your own heart, yeah. which do you you take a beta, but which do you really prefer, an alpha male or a beta male? Truthfully, yeah, beta all the way. Really? Yeah. You like, but you women control betas. Um. Control is an interesting word. I mean, control has kind of a negative connotation, but um, you might say the alpha male controls women if you're going to use right, that word. Right, they do it, and he's supposed <laughs> to. How about we just, don't, we just don't feel like we're being controlled? How's that? <laughs> we feel free to be ourselves and to be fully expressed. But would you rather be controlled or control the beta male? Would you um, rather be controlled by an alpha male well, here, or be controlled by uh, or control a beta male? Okay, so you're talking about. So here's the thing, Jesse. You know, relationships are changing, and you are absolutely spot on correct that one person is in charge of the relationship yep. inside of a traditional role based relationship. What many people that are feeling, and these are the people that tend to come to me, are yearning for what we might call a soul-based relationship. That's your best friend, your, um, your, your, your equal, both people are holding power, both people are holding power in that relationship, and it's requiring that we grow ourselves capable of being able to be in that kind of relationship, but that's really the ideal, and it is a new it is a new form of relationship. Yeah. We've never had these ground rules before. That is so interesting, and, and and I really want to ask you about your best-selling book, The Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. But I want to yeah. say is the reason for that 
is that women don't know what they want. And so it's up to an alpha male to guide her and lead her and to give her what she needs because they think they want to be equal to a man. They think they want to lead, but because it's not in their nature to lead, when the beta male give up that leadership, the woman is unhappy about it because her nature need the man to lead her. Uh-huh. Am I right? I, I don't quite agree with that perspective. Um, I think it is a very traditional perspective. I'm not sure that that's actually something that most women would relate to. Um, I know. That's why I think it's so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to ask you this. Are you a Christian? I am a Christian. Do you have anger? Anger. Do I have anger? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But, you know, anger, look, anger can be either used destructively or it can be used constructively. How can um, it be used constructively? Well, you know, the civil rights movement was anger used constructively. So you're, you're, you're pointing anger in the direction of change. Anger is the reclamation of rights if you've been violated. So you have to, you know, be a good steward of anger. A lot of damage is done in the name of anger, even if people who are kind of repressing anger, then they make themselves sick. So you can harm yourself or others. But I think anger well navigated is also information about things that need to evolve and, and change. And, uh, you know, if something unfair has happened, it's it's human to feel angry about that. But if anger is good, how do you explain that your mother uh, traumatized you with her anger and caused you to become like her? And then you traumatize your daughter with your anger and cause her to become like you. And nobody is happy with anger, but I noticed that when they overcome anger and they have perfect love, yeah. uh, all people have peace when they have perfect love, but yeah. when they have anger, they have no peace. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's a beautiful subject for us to lean into. It is one of the seven deadly sins, anger. And I think that, you know, we have to really be mindful when we do feel anger but also jesus said you have to forgive 70 times seven right and that that means it's not just an instant decision oh, i'm not gonna be angry at that pe- person <laughs> anymore you got to work something through right and, and and right and the working through is about okay well what's my part and what do i need to change about how i show up and where did i give my power away to that person where am i giving my power away to that person you know a lot of times if you're mad at somebody you know you're kind of now giving all your power to the other person to Absolutely. determine your peace of mind. Yeah, That's why right. Jesus said that, go and forgive, and I will forgive you. So, when, like, for example, your mother traumatized you, she could not help it because she had been traumatized. And once you realize you became like her, and you go and say, hey, mother, I'm sorry for resenting you for traumatizing me. I become like you, and I now understand you can't help yourself then Jesus will forgive you when you forgive her and you will no longer have anger and you have peace. And that's more powerful than anger. Yeah. Isn't that deep? That's amazing, huh? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I don't know that I became like my mother. Well, who do you think you got your anger from? It didn't come from you. Oh, well, I mean, I get angry about all sorts of things. I know, but you were not born with anger. Your your mother imposed a will and you became like her when you were a kid. Well, I used to be angry. I think I was more sad, truthfully, yeah. about what happened in my childhood. And when I really started to look at it, I mean, here's the thing. When I, when I was maybe 18 or something, I developed an eating disorder. Yeah. It started when I was 14. Yeah. And then by the time I was in my 20s, I was almost non-functional because I had such severe addiction to binge eating and then I'd starve myself. I was almost non-functional. So I went to to 12-step programs for a long time and sat in those rooms. And that's how I learned how to how to how to deal with anger how to how to take responsibility for my part how to make amends to people how to forgive myself how to forgive others and live in a way that was more in integrity with my soul than kind of captured by reactive processes you know an addiction is just a reaction to amazing well yeah. last thing about it, once you overcome that anger it's impossible once you forgive 
your mother and your father for not protecting you, yeah. God will forgive you. It will be impossible to be depressed or anorexic or suicidal because you have peace. Uh, he would take that spirit away from you. You never have to be concerned about that. Let me tell you a story about this, okay? So when I was doing Calling in the One, what I, one of the things I was praying every day was, you know, what would I have to give up in order to be engaged? by? My, so the commitment I made was to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. It was eight months away, <laughs> no prospects for a husband. It was like a crazy thing to yeah. say, right? But then I just would pray every day, say, okay, well, what would I need to let go of God in order to be who I would need to be for, yeah. for that to happen? And one of the things that I saw was I had to let go of my anger at a, at a former boyfriend, and, uh, and boy, you know, that was tough for me because what had happened was so unfair. We had a nonprofit together. It was my idea. I brought it to him. It was this gorgeous project we did down on Skid Row with people who were getting better from homelessness. And we were both musicians, so they were bringing songwriters and stuff down. Anyway, when we broke up, the project stayed with him. And then he wasn't doing anything with it, so it was dying the project right. was dying yeah. and i was so mad at him about that and i couldn't forgive i could i was trying to forgive and i couldn't forgive i was trying 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 so i was praying for like days about it and one night i went out for a walk and i'm and i'm standing outside i'm looking up it's the middle of winter and all of a sudden i don't know if you've had an experience like this but i felt like I was surrounded by a host of angels. I just got transported to another state of mind. And I felt like there were angels surrounding me and they spoke to me, not like a, not like a, an actual voice, but just as a deeper knowing. And what they said to me is this, and this is about forgiveness. They said, you are right that a great debt is due you. But if you keep holding on to him to get restitution for the debt, you're blocking us from giving you your due. Amazing. That's amazing. And, and then I was able to let it go. I just let it go. When I let it go, I suddenly started to see all of the ways I had given my power away to him, the ways I didn't really want to be responsible for my own organization. So just kind of gave it to him. It was, you know, and I saw how it was really my responsibility, what had happened. And because I let go of him as the source of the restitution, all these blessings started to come in. Nice. One after another. So I do think that, you know, God knows well all of the things that have been done to us. Yeah. And that if we can just take our energy off of that person. By the way, that man became a very good friend of mine. He's no longer with us, but I helped him even in his transition. He was a good friend to the day he died. Amazing. So, so uh, have you apologized to your daughter for imposing your anger upon her? I have, well, imposing my anger. I don't know that my daughter felt that I was imposing my anger, but I think that she did feel that she would have liked more of my attention. Yeah. And I have said I, I really am grieved about that. And I have made amends because I'm a big fan of amends. It's not just an apology. Right. I like making amends. You do it differently to the best of your ability, either with that person or, or you know, you pay it forward to other people. But I have given my daughter a lot more of my time. She is a, she is the biggest priority. She's in college now and she actually needs just as much support as she did when she was in elementary school. So you did to her what your mother did. Your mother didn't spend time with you. And likewise, you didn't spend time with your daughter, according to I your daughter. Yeah, I spent more right. time with my daughter than my mother did. So I was a somewhat, I was an improved version, but I, not, not to the point where I wish that I had. I got to ask you about your book. You wrote a national bestseller called um, Calling in the One. Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. And that was released back in 2004. What did you do to attract your first love of your life? My my husband, I call him. Right, um, right. By the way, I just rewrote <laughs> that book because I've worked with so many people now. Um, you know, I started with kind of an outrageous intention. An unreasonable intention, for sure, because as I said, I'd had difficult patterns in love. 
I had my back when I was 18, my high school boyfriend proposed marriage. I was too young. So I said no, but I had not had a proposal in all those years. And I was wondering what was wrong with You're me. You're like, what now? What? What's wrong with me? <laughs> I think, you know, I bathe every day. I'm a nice person. I think I'm kind of attractive. Anyway, so I, I just couldn't get that part of my life together. It's making very bad choices. And um, But I, I set an intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday and as I said, I started to live into that future. So the first thing I did is set an unreasonable intention. The second thing is instead of running out to find love, I went within to try and really see clearly how I was the one that was building barriers against it and pushing people away unknowingly. As much as I wanted a relationship, I was not really available for one. And I I did house cleaning. I did literal house cleaning. I actually created in my home, you know, space in my closet for someone to put their things. <laughs> I, I like really I got what? rid of old love letters. I cleaned out the clutter. So you wrote uh, love letters as though you were writing to a man? No, no. I said, I, well, I did do that actually too, but I said I gave away old oh, love letters. I, got you. Like, okay. I just cleaned out my space, right? Yeah. And, and and created my environment to be a welcoming place for someone to come in. One of my favorite stories about this is Della Reese, when she was still with us, you know, back in her sixties. Yeah. She once told a story that she was ready to find her next husband. So she started putting two placemats out on the table every night and setting for table for two for dinner. Right. And she'd walk in the house and she'd open the door at the end of the day. She'd say, hi, honey, I'm home. What even the? though she was living alone. <laughs> and, so, and before she knew it, she had that husband. So, so I think there is something about, you know, really training your mindset, getting your environment ready. But mostly, Jesse, I was doing a lot of internal work. Yeah. And I That's had to go important. back. Yeah. I had to go back to the part of me that. You know, I was so I was so shattered when my father let go of parental rights yeah. and, and didn't say goodbye or anything. I was so devastated by losing connection with him when I was a kid that I just kind of closed my heart. And what I saw was I internalized that as somehow I wasn't valuable because he owed child support. So I internalized in my little 10 year old brain. My father sold me for five thousand yeah. dollars because that's what he owed. And I wasn't very valuable, and um, and I just never wanted to get hurt like that again. So I had all this, you know, all this drama, trauma. The really worst as a way thing to- that can happen to kids is to lose their fathers. When they're turned away from their fathers, they're turned away from the light, and it just become dark for them. I felt not valuable. I felt unprotected. Yeah. I felt uncared for and unloved. You know, it is a it is a terrible thing. Now, my father, I really know that he loves me. Yes, we all fathers love their children. They, yeah. He and he and he did back then. You know, I I've talked to him a lot about it. He thinks he said, "Well, your mother and I were warring so much. I thought it would be easier for you if yeah. I just let go of parental rights and let your stepfather adopt you." But my stepfather ended up being an alcoholic, and uh, just. Not someone who was going to be able to do that well. Yeah. So you cleaned out your closet, you wrote letters, you got rid of old letters, and you still ended up with the wrong man. Well, I wouldn't call Mark the wrong man. The first I mean, up, the husband, right? Yeah, my husband, yeah. Right. He, he's a wonderful man, actually. So why did you guys divorce him if he's wonderful? Well, because I we just, as I was sharing before, I just kind of, I made a lot of mistakes in the marriage, and we never really bonded it down. We never bonded our relationship in the way that we would have needed to. Right. So we chose to get divorced. The saving grace was that we did it with so much compassion and kindness. And that ended up becoming conscious uncoupling. But, you know, it's interesting, Jesse, because we have this idea inside of Happily Ever After that if a relationship ends before one or both people die, that it is a failure of love. But my life is devoted to um, to to really alleviating suffering 
and to helping us all to become more loving people, really inside of a devotion, a Christian devotion to God. And, um, And that marriage, not only did that marriage give me my daughter, that marriage helped me to write two books that have gone out and blessed hundreds of thousands of people. So I don't think of the marriage as a failure. So you, did you initiate the, the divorce? I did. Was it hard to do? It was very hard to do. I noticed that. I read a, a report that today women are initiating more divorces than men are. What's yeah, wrong with men, the women? Women initiate about 68% of divorces. But I'll tell you, you know, you're, you're kind of on the war path with women holding equal power to men. I got it. You know um, why? Because why? it's not in the nature of a woman to lead. Women were created to follow, not to lead. So when you put them in a leadership position, whether it's in a home, at work, or uh, in the cotton field, or, or wherever, they end up making it worse. Because it's not in their nature to lead. They're created to follow. Well, am I you right? Know, I, don't, I don't agree with that. But that's and, what God said. Well, so that was an interpretation back then, but I don't think God is static. Hang on one second. I, I, don't, I don't think God is static. So I live in a world that's ever evolving. And I don't think that that's what God is generating. But his principle, he's never, he said that he's not going to change one iota, one dot of his word. And that he would be made change and he'll just let them suffer, but he's not going to change. So his words were the same then and always, they're never going to change. So he said it then. And so he still mean it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can't argue with that. I, I understand that as one, as one way of seeing it. Um, I think that what the world needs right now is a different kind of leadership, which we might call uh, a deeper level of relatedness, a deeper level of empathy and understanding between all cultures. Um, I think women are, hold, are, are more equipped for that kind of leadership. No, they don't have it. How can they be equipped? Well, I don't know. You're t- I mean, you're talking to somebody who has had the privilege of leading hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, and amazing. I'm a woman. <laughs> so I, I'm living it. <laughs> so I got to ask. Um, oh, I say that women don't have love. Am I wrong? Yeah. But Very, And just notice, I haven't said you're wrong about anything. I just said you're different. Or that's one <laughs> interesting way to see it. But yeah, I don't. You have to explain where you're getting that from. Women have emotion, and that come from an illogical mindset because they have anger, and anger, anger awaken a false feeling of love because Satan is a woman's god, right? She has this ego, and so they have anger, and in that anger, they have a false sense of love. Love comes from above, from God through Christ, through the man, through the woman, to the children. And that love yeah. that comes from below, it destroys. It doesn't give life. Well, you know, I, I think there's um, the beautiful archetype of Mother Mary or the beautiful archetype of Kuan Yin. And these are more the feminine principle of God. But Jesus even yelled at Mary and told her to go sit down. Remember? <laughs> to go sit down. Right. Remember, when you say Mother Mary, you mean Jesus' mother? Yeah, yeah. Remember, he was busy in the temple, and she was all nosy trying to get into his business. And he was yeah. like, I'm in the temple. Go away. Because she was all in the way. Remember that? I am not remembering that, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you do agree that women don't have love. They receive love, right? Um. I don't know. I mean, love, you know, you have to ask what the definition of love is. Yeah, I'm about to ask you, what is love? Yeah, what is love? See, I don't think that love love? is a feeling. I think love is, um, love is care in action. Love is care. And I think that part of what happens in a breakdown is that sometimes people feel like they love you in their heart, but they don't know how to give care. Well, love is the light that comes from God. Only God has love. And when we return to the Father, we have God's love. It's not a feeling. It's a light unto your feet. It, it's life. It's lighting up the soul. to give you peace and all the good things. Yeah. 
So I think that love is also uh, the ability to um, to give levels of care, to give to give care, to expand your identity, to be inclusive of others. And so in that way, it requires us to actively grow ourselves in the direction of empathy and uh, and compassion. But see, that's the difference between the way women think and the way men think, right? In perfect love, there is no compassion. There is no empathy. Love is dispassionate. But in the fake love, it's empathy and it's compassion. It's all that crap that destroys rather than give life. Well, let's talk about what empathy is, right? So empathy, how do you, dis- how do you define empathy? Um, it, when you have real love, you don't have any anger toward anybody because you understand that you understand what's driving them and that they cannot help themselves. So you don't take it personal and that prevents you from judging them. How would you define empathy? Empathy is a fake emotion and it's based on feeling and, and, and how the person reacts to the feeling. If you show compassion and they show it back, then you feel good about it. But if uh-huh. you show compassion and they don't show it back, now you're feeling anger and, and resentment because they seem to be selfish. Wow. I don't know. I think we're, we're defining things uh, somewhat differently. So empathy to me is the ability to be present with someone and to get so in their world and what their experience is that it creates a feeling of togetherness. See, that we're that's together. the problem. When you go into somebody else's world, they're living in hell. You're going to catch hell too. Well, I'm not necessarily talking about going down into the the person, to, you know, to the bottom of the pool with people. <laughs> Sometimes you have to really hold the light for people. You're holding a space in God. I mean, I I sit with people who are in great suffering with conscious uncoupling because there's very few traumas in life, like the trauma of being left by someone you have loved and given yourself to and maybe had children with. I mean, it's quite traumatic for people. So to sit there, they feel like, you know, they're nothing. They're, they've been rejected. They're unwanted. They're unloved. And to be with that person and know what, you know, you're, you're present to what they're feeling, but you know the truth about them is that they're surrounded by love, that they are made from love, that this is something that they will recover from and you're going to help them to go through the steps of recovery so that they can come out the other side even more capable of love than amazing. they were before. That's amazing. I got because of time, you're so interesting. We have to move a little faster. There's so much I want to ask you about. Okay. So were you, you, you were married to a black man at one time? Yes, my husband is a black man. I'm sorry to hear that. How did that happen? <laughs> you went from bad to worse. You are so funny. <laughs> He's a wonderful man. I was so blessed and fortunate. Are you a white woman? I am. What are you doing with a black man? What the? I, I loved his heart. I still do love his heart. He's a gorgeous man. He's a deep But if you love man. his heart and he has such a good heart, why aren't you still with him? We just were, we grew apart, Jesse, and I think that that does happen. You know, the, when the happily ever after myth was created, the lifespan was less than 40 years of age. So we live very long lives. The, the statistically, as much as we still love happily ever after and believe in one person that we pledge ourselves to, statistically, the majority of us here will have two to three significant relationships in, in our lifetime. Wow. Are you married? No. You're not married? No. A handsome, beautiful man like you? Well, I unfortunately made a child out of wedlock, and I was going to get married, but you know how women act all nice while you're dating? They pretend that they agree with you. You're so wonderful. I love your work. And soon you get engaged, they try to control you. And when I saw that side of her, I decided, uh-uh, this ain't going to work. You know how women love to control others, right? Don't isn't that human? Don't we all love to control others? No, men don't try to control. Oh no. They're naturally <laughs> okay. in, in control. So I gotta ask you, so your daughter yes. is biracial? She is. A oh, man. 
And then I have a, a, a an African American daughter who's actually also biracial, but she's 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 identifies as African American. She's my bonus daughter. Meaning that your boyfriend already had a child? No, I I just she was my daughter's best friend in high school, and oh. her mom left when she was young, and I just scooped her into our family because her dad has some health issues. Oh, I see. And your boyfriend now is he black or white? He's white. Oh, thank God. <laughs> back where I belong. That's right. You back home. <laughs> now, what are you so happy? <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so I want to ask you about uh, real fast about this uncoupling, the yeah. conscious uncoupling, and it's also another New York Times bestseller. In mm. a few words, I'll laugh because I have so much to talk to you about. What is uncoupling exactly? Well, it's a breakup. So whether that's divorce because you were married or it's just a breakup with someone you were going with for a while and had a relationship or even just a big disappointment in dating, it's how to do that well in a way that leaves your heart whole and complete. Where you're oh, not, okay. You know, you're not wanting to lash out. You're not going to do damage to yourself or the other person. And uh, certainly if there's kids involved. So people behave in ways that generate cohesion, goodwill, respect, um, and, and, and in ways that really validate the value of the connection even as they're leaving it. Nice. And so uh, when this actress, Gwyneth, is it, what's her Gwyneth, name? Gwyneth when Paltrow. She, did she yeah. accidentally run up on the book? How did she? She was, before the book was written, I had been teaching people. I teach online. Uh-huh. So I have courses online, and I'd had about a 1,000 people through a program. And for Conscious Uncoupling, I was just piloting it. And uh, and there was a gentleman who was following my work, and he he was counseling her. So he oh. brought my work to her. Oh, I got it. And, that, and yeah. she used that when she and Chris Martin yeah. divorced, right? She did. And people like, excuse me, my, it was ice cubes. Yeah, no ice problem. Cubes. No I got problem. stuck in my mouth. Yes, she did. And people love to make fun of Gwyneth. So a lot of people were making fun and stuff. But it stuck, you know, because there's a lot of wisdom to it. There's no reason to harm each other, to go to war. People do all sorts of bad things at yeah. the end of a relationship, behave yeah. very badly. Divorce is a $50 billion a year industry in the United States alone. Oh, and uh, a lot of a lot of damage is done. So this is an alternative about how to deal with all those really big feelings that come up and the anger and the fear and all of that and how to stay centered, how to act in alignment with your values. Nice. And, you know, it's a lot of Christians watching today. So it's how to how to show up, at, you know, in a way that has integrity between you and God. You're not yeah. going to act out of those emotions, that anger. And But yet what to do with it, you know, what to do with those feelings and how to see your part and how to make amends and how to use the, 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 the shattering that you're experiencing as a time of great growth and, and transformation nice. and, and maturing. A lot of people really spiritually mature quite a bit during a breakup. Um, oh, I've always heard that once you go black, you can't go back. How were you able to go back? <laughs> That's what all the women want to know. How were you able to go back once you went black? <laughs> well, it was a great joy to be with my husband, but I'm pretty happy with my guy now. So it was not a big transition, really. Oh. But but I had several years between. I had a lot of work to do. I had yeah. a lot of examining of my own part in that. I didn't go right from one relationship to another. But I feel very fortunate to be with the man I'm with. Uh, what is a man? What is a man? Ooh. Well, this particular man, I mean, he's my rock. He is just solid. He is unbelievably supportive. And um, he's kind of a pillar of strength and goodness. I love his values. You know, some men are, are powerful protectors. Men are powerful um, implementers. They're, they're, they create gorgeous things in the world. Amazing. And one last thing about that. Uh, so you're married, you're living with a white man now. You got these two black babies. How does he deal with that? 
Oh, he loves it. He has a black goddaughter. So we're it's, it's the... like a match made in heaven because his best friend in high school was a black man, black kid, adolescent, had a baby and died of a drug overdose. So Michael stepped in and he helped with the grandmother to co-raise that, that daughter. So he has a black goddaughter. <laughs> so we look <laughs> like a perfect family. <laughs> So has he ever dated a black woman? Oh, I don't think he has. Oh, That's interesting. God bless him, huh? Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. So I got to put you on the hot seat. Oh, uh, oh, oh, just now you're putting me on the hot seat <laughs> like I haven't been on the hot seat. <laughs> okay. And I need you to okay, I'm fastening my seatbelt right now. <laughs> Go for it. So I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Okay. All right. The hot seat. Well, Albert asked, but what is love? You did ask that already. It's, yeah. I see it's care in action. It's the expansion of one's identity to include others in this love. Did you it's vote, care in action. Did you vote for the great white hope? The Great White Hope, are we talking about Mr. Trump? Yes. No, I did not. We were going to drain the swamp in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Nice. No, no, Jesse, I'm the opposite of you. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, a, big, uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a Democrat. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry fan. to hear that. Yeah, thank I you. I used to be one, too, but God forgave me. I know. Me. I read that. I read that about you. I, I, I understand your pain. I'm actually happy with many, many things that are happening right now, moving, it, moving in a new direction. Do you like the critical race theory stuff in teaching? I think it's important that we all really look at what happened the way it happened in order to grow. It's like what they're doing in Germany, Jesse, where the kids are learning about the Holocaust in, as a prevention for that happening in the future. So I don't think that people would feel bad about being white but I think that, you know, it's important for us to understand that there's something happening where we're needing to equal, make the playing field more equal. Would it surprise you that I grew up on a plantation in Alabama under the Jim Crow laws and the, the, those things that the blacks are pretending are issues now were never an issue growing up? The you blacks know, are lying. I, I think you surprise a lot of people. I think you surprise a lot of people, and I know you're writing books about your experience yeah, and uh, really sharing about your experience, and I would imagine it takes a lot of courage to be you. Because I don't like the fact that they're blaming white people for being losers. The blacks are losers because they don't have family, they don't believe in God, the men are weak, the women are angry and out of control, well, and I instead think what you're of getting that together the way they did when I was growing up, they're blaming the white man. What the? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Any kind of victimization, if you're getting overly identified with being a victim, you can't change. Yeah. Right. And one of my heroes is a, a Palestinian gentleman. His name is, of course, escaping me in this very moment. Right. But he's Palestinian and he's really working with other Palestinians to say, look, you've got to you've got to really rise out of victimization. Absolutely. If you want anything to change. So I think that we're both on the same side. We disagree about certain political stances, but I think that I'm, I'm with you on that. So why don't the white people give the blacks the finger and tell them to go get a life and stop begging? Well, I do think that there's a lot of white folks who um, are needing to take a lead in, in the move towards equality and giving uh, becoming more conscious of privilege. Being more honest to the blacks, Being right? Being more honest. I think and it's, telling I them think how it's a the cow ate the cabbage. Well, I think we all have to grow up and be responsible for the future that we're wanting to create, yes. which is a future of more equality and uh, more self-responsibility where everybody can you know, really take responsibility for yep. acting from the highest and the best. That's right. I digress. I got to put you back on the high seat. Okay. Is America a Christian nation? I think statistically, it would. We would say yes. What is a but, civ I, but I don't think that we agree on what being a Christian means. I well, we have to have you back for that one. Yeah, yeah. I, what I is a silver seeker? What kind of seeker? 
Silver, S-I-L-V-E-R. Silver. Oh, a silver seeker. Those are that's a term that they use in the dating world for people who I think are over 60 <laughs> and looking for love. So old people look for love. Oh, yeah. It's like a whole it's a huge industry. It's one of the biggest dating uh, markets that there are now are silver. Seekers. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope for you yet, Jesse. You're Evidently. Find- <laughs> <laughs> Do you support the Second Amendment? Guns. The Second Amendment. Second Amendment, remind me. Uh, it's right, the right to bear arms. Yeah, ooh, I I have a aversion to guns, so I I'm a big su- supporter of gun control. Should Black Americans get reparations? Yes, I do believe that Black Americans should get reparations. Amazing. Do you yeah. prefer alpha male or beta male? We. I think I'm a big beta girl, but I do have a, a man who is an alpha as well as a beta. He's both. Should transgender be allowed in women's sports? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I'm kind of a yes to that. I know it. It. it, it there's complexity there, but yes. Is it ever okay to tell the woman she's fat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe if you're her doctor. <laughs> oh. There was, a, there was a, a an old New Yorker New Yorker um, cartoon where this woman walks in and says to her husband, "Does my body make me look fat?" <laughs> he better say no. <laughs> he better say no. You look fabulous. Amazing. Do you love white people? Yeah, I love all people. Do you love white people? Yes. Did you have fun? Yes, you're a ton of fun. <laughs> Thank you're you so much for coming on. I appreciate that. Tell the folks how to get your books, how to get to your counseling service, whatever you. you're doing. Thank you. Um, Just sign up to be on the Love Out Loud list, which is where once a, a week I give you a teaching on love to help you expand your heart and grow your capacity to be happy in love. Catherine, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Me too. Me too. I was a little nervous talking to you, but you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. And God bless you. And we'll talk again, all right? Good. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And thank- Bye now. Thank you folks for tuning in. I totally appreciate it. Don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, share, ring the bell, check out the merch, and Patreon. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching The Fallen State. We need your continued support. Donate to my nonprofit here. Subscribe and like the videos here. And tell everybody and their mama about the show. Catherine, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) You're a ton of fun. You take good care, and I look forward to next time. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye.